A reading from the book of Genesis. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the, flesh, the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Miseram. So Jacob's son did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had brought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his fathers. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. That is what you are to say to Joseph. I will ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let's try that again. There we are. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. Uh, for those who are visiting, I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to see you today, to worship with you today, especially as we look at the last chapter of Genesis. We've been looking at the life of Joseph for five months. Five months. And this is it. How will it end? I will say as an um, intro that it's a simple yet very profound message we're going to see today. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? 
Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever been chosen for something special only to be fearful of what lies ahead? On May 17th, 2022, something magical happened. At 8 p.m., all of the worst teams in the NBA, Brooke, that is the National Basketball Association, gathered for what is known as the NBA Draft Lottery. The Orlando Magic, my Orlando Magic, perennial losers year in and year out, had but a 14% chance of winning the draft lottery and getting the honor or the right to pick first overall. So what happened? We'll check it out. Yes, friends, somehow my Orlando Magic got the right to pick first in the upcoming NBA draft. And I'll tell you, I screamed like a little girl for about a minute straight, and I didn't scream alone. My tall son in the back, Caden, also ran around the house screaming. Our daughter was worried. She goes, who's hurt? I said, no one's hurt. There's glory falling on the earth. There's hope in Orlando. Man, have we lost for so long. People always abandon us. A new day is dawning, Dom, for the Orlando Magic. However, listen, here's the truth. Just because you're chosen for something special doesn't mean fear won't creep in. Sometimes immediately. Turning back to the Magic following the draft, Orlando's general manager, John Hammond, was asked by a reporter a few days later if he now feels pressure because he holds the right to pick first overall. Here's how he responded. Quote, yeah, you know, it hits you immediately. We're sitting there the other night in the lottery with Jeff, Jeff Weltman, the president of the Orlando Magic, and we had this moment of jubilation, and then we both stopped and just kind of looked at each other. And then a lot of our buddies in the NBA walked by us and said, congrats, number one. Now don't screw it up. How's that for encouragement? The leaders of the Magic had just won the right to pick first overall. It might be a franchise-changing uh, moment. And friends or rivals came by and said, congrats. Now don't screw it up. Talk about taunting. So here's the deal, though. I'm sure it actually worked. I'm sure it worked because they were already feeling pressure in a quiet fear to make the right pick, right? Why? Because they, like you and me, are human. And you know what? None of us, none of us are perfect. Now, turning back to the story of Joseph, this lack of perfection applies to Jacob, Joseph, and all those we've studied over the last 
several months. None of these biblical characters were perfect, actually far from it. Even though they had been bestowed with the covenantal promises of God to hand them on to the next generation, what have we seen again and again? They botched up the story. Yet beyond their own mistakes, what do we see from God? We see God continue to love them and guide them through it all. He doesn't abandon them. You might say his grace and his sovereignty actually carried them through. His grace and sovereignty carried them through all their darkness, all their disappointment, all the division in the family, and even all the death they faced together. And listen, so it will be with you, and so it will be with me. Listen, friends, God loves you, and he promises to guide you too. God never, I love how Drew sometimes says this, God never abandons his kids. God never abandons, excuse me, abandons his plan. He never abandons his promises, and he never abandons his people. And this leads us right into our big idea that we're going to unpack from Genesis 50 today. While not denying life's roughest moments, you and I can trust in God's redemptive plan over all of our days. Let me repeat that. While not denying life's roughest moments, you and I can trust in God's redemptive plan over all of our days. And we're going to unpack this through two points of action or two points of challenge. Point one, don't live in denial. And point two, don't live in defeat. So let's dive into this passage. Point one, do not live in denial. Joseph threw himself on his father and he wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel, that is Jacob. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Now listen, I've noticed something the more I've grown in my faith. I'm more emotional now than I ever have been in my life. Not in a crazy way, but a maybe present and personal way. Things just hit a little different these days for me. Again, I've noticed as I've grown in my faith, the more emotional I've become in my faith and with others. Just last Monday, I got called out for this very thing. Two of our buddies, figuratively speaking, two of our babies got married. Jonathan Hyatt and Allie Huggins finally did it. They finally got married. I was in the very back of the setting where they were getting married. And as Pastor Drew officiated the ceremony, I found myself doing these things. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I was just connecting in that moment. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You're just connected. You're filled with joy. You're just there, right? And you're, you're all there. You're all in. Until my daughter, my middle school daughter, did this. She was sitting right in front of me. She goes, y'all know that look? You ever received that look from a kid? Right? That stare. Well, apparently dad was too engaged, too emotional in that moment. But yet I was just brimming with joy for Allie. 
Allie Huggins, now Hyatt, she's worked for our church for six years, pouring herself out for us. And I was overjoyed for Jonathan. He's worked for our church for about two years. It was an awesome night. I can't believe it happened, actually. Um, but it did. Now, hopefully, they'll make their way back from Europe. We're, we're afraid they might get lost. They're still very young. The point being, I've been, I, excuse me, the point being, um, I found myself becoming more engaged and emotional the older I get. And that's not only true for me, it's what we see in the biblical story. It's what we see in our biblical story today. As our chapter begins, chapter 50 of Genesis, the patriarch of the family, Jacob, has, has died. The father, the grandfather has, has passed away. One chapter has ended, another is beginning. And uh, consequently, what do we see modeled by Joseph, the favored son of this patriarch? We see deep grieving, both in himself and in his whole community. Just picture it with me. Listen to these details. Verse 1, Joseph threw himself on his father, his deceased father, and wept literally on him and kissed him. Verse 2. Three, the Egyptians mourned for him for one day, two days, seven days, 70 days. Verse 10, and when they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented softly, no, loudly, and this word's interesting, bitterly, so that everyone noticed. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. And then in verses 12 and 13, we read, and so Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah. They literally went to another country in their mourning. Here's the point. A developed faith does not live in denial, but enters into the depth of emotion fitting for the day. Such is why the Apostle Paul would later write, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Furthermore, it's why King David could write words like we read in Psalm 34. I sought the Lord. Kathy, you can join me. I sought the Lord and he, he answered me. He rescued me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Thus, friends, listen, it is okay to cry. You don't need to apologize for your tears in this life and in your faith journey. Life is sometimes hard. Life is sometimes rough. Life is sometimes raw. When you or your loved ones get that diagnosis, when you or your loved one receive that tough news, when you or your loved one face that costly choice, or when you or your loved one mourn that painful death, it's fitting, dare I say, holy to take it hard. And listen, friends, we're meant to process our grief, not in isolation, but together. That is the biblical norm. And that's the power of gospel community. 
We're called to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters to take the lead in honoring one another. How? By rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. So point one, in this life, don't live in denial. And point two, don't live in defeat. All right, I texted her. I told her she's going to make my sermon, and she is here. Last Sunday, I, surpri- I was surprised, excuse me, I was surprised to see an old friend on stage leading worship with Taylor. Her name is Krista Tilly. I call her Krista Bear. She's been a spiritual daughter to Carly and me for about 20 years. And she actually moved to Charleston several years ago to help start our church. And throughout the years, we've seen this young woman grow and grow, and we're so proud of the woman she's become. Now, returning to last week, following her experience up front, Krista posted this picture and these words on her social media account. When I was 17, I wanted to go to college, but God had other plans. So I told him I would go anywhere he sent me. I opened my hands and decided to trust that his plan was better. He sent me to Charleston to help plant the baby seeds of what is now One Fellowship. When I look back at that yes that felt so hard at the time, I see a million little miracles. I sat, I sat outside of this building praying that God would let us use it. And today I got to lead worship with this family that I've watched grow for many years. And then Krista, I remember that day. Two families and Krista laid hands on this building saying, God, would you let us worship in this space? And the no, the no, the no became a yes. Then Krista ends her post by saying, quoting a singer-songwriter, there's a yes in our hearts and it carries through eternity. Simple obedience changes history. It's an amazing story. But friends, let me abbreviate Krista's words so you hear their power. I don't even know if she knows the power in her written word. Listen, when I was 17, I wanted, but God had other plans. So I told him I would go anywhere he sent me. When I look back at that, yes, that felt so hard at the time. I see a million little miracles. Krista, who had been through so much, is able to now share with clarity and joyful conviction that God has a plan. God has a plan, folks. Brooke, God has a plan. Going back to our passage, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, we read Joseph again wept. 
His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What a powerful encounter. And I want to reread two verses because they're seen as like Goliath verses, huge verses. Some would say the most important verses in the whole Bible. Listen, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Friends, for those who are new to this story, Joseph is saying this to brothers who had beaten him, mocked him, thrown him in a pit, and sold him into slavery when he was a kid. I can't even imagine. Thus, his words here, years later, carried tremendous weight. They carried the weight of tremendous pain, tremendous isolation, Tremendous loss, and yet somehow his words also carried the weight of God's tremendous grace. I hope you see that. How is this possible, you might ask? It's possible because God, excuse me, it's possible because Joseph saw God's redemptive plan in all of it. Just as a brief recap, ready? Had Joseph not been sold into slavery, he never would have made it to Egypt, at least at the right time. And had he never made it into Egypt at the right time, he never, never would have learned the beautiful yet sobering gift of humility. And had he never learned the beautiful yet sobering gift of humility, he never would have been entrusted to manage. And had he never been entrusted to manage, he never would have been empowered by Pharaoh to save the world from famine. And had he never been empowered by Pharaoh to save the world from famine, he never would have been able to save his own family from starvation and have this moment right now. You see, it's clear that Joseph knew that God had positioned his heart and his life to serve a greater purpose than he saw when he was yet a kid or a young man. Thus, he he didn't need to react to his brothers in this moment in anger. No, he was compelled to love his brothers with God's sovereign grace. Listen, friends, God has a plan. Sometimes we can see it, other times we cannot. But scripture is clear. God has a plan and his plan is good. We need not live in defeat. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So one fellowship, as I wrap up this message in this whole series, where do we go? Where do we go from here? Where do we go if we don't need to live in denial and defeat? Well, here's where we go. With an eternal gaze, we go to trust. We learn to trust God through thick and thin. In the pain, Chad, we learn to trust God. In the joy, joy, Caroline, we learn to trust in God. In the uncertainty, we learn to trust him. And in the loss, Angie, we learn to trust him. 
We learn, we learn to say what believers have held on to and found hope in. These words from Romans 8, what believers have clung to for centuries, and we know, listen, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything, anything else in our creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we go to trust. We say, what I'm facing right now, what I've faced in the past, what I'll face in the future, I might not even understand it. I might not even see your purpose in it, but I trust you, God, right here and right now through all of it. Isn't it interesting that Joseph sat in a jail cell and had to trust? Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul sat in a jail cell writing these words, having to trust? Some of us, we're facing tough times. God's calling us to trust. Live by faith, not by sight. Trusting in God's character, not our circumstances. As the late Eugene Peterson said, our problems don't define us. God defines us. Our problems are neither the first nor the last word of who we are. God is. So start there. Live there. Trust there. One fellowship, while not denying life's roughest moments, you and I can trust in God's redemptive plan over all of our days. And that's such good news. Let us pray into that good news, whatever you're facing or will face today. Please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph that points us to the ultimate yes in you through Christ. There's no lengths that you have not already gone to to show us you care for us. So even in the uncertainty of whatever we're facing, we say, yes, Lord, I trust you. In my relationships, I trust you. With my family, I trust you. With my work, I trust you. With this uncertainty, I trust you. With my fear, I trust you. Thank you, Lord. We pray this for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.